This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael and Megan's newest book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Enjoy Michael and Megan exploring what it takes to achieve the double win while they recount stories that bring joy and some stories that sting, all while laying out how you can win at work and succeed at life. Pre-order your copy today at winandsucceedbook.com. That's winandsucceedbook.com. Hi, I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And I'm Michael Hyatt. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. Megan, believe it or not, it's been a year since we released our first episode after the pandemic began. Hmm. So it's been slightly more than a year, but it was a year ago that we released sort of how to how to navigate through this crisis. And here we are a year later. And, and part of what we want to talk about in this episode is what we learned, what we achieved during this unprecedented year. Yeah, it, it has felt like a year. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and then some, in some ways it, it's felt so much faster than that, but I was uh, just reviewing some notes that I had. And of course, the stock market crashed in the first two weeks of March, dropping nearly 3,000 points um, by March the 12th. I mean, I remember that day like so vividly. I remember where I was, remember what we were doing. Um, you know, by I think that same day, that's when the president declared a national emergency. Remember that big address? That's really what precipitated the stock market crash. Um, we had those whispers of a lockdown coming by the 13th in our office. We had paused hiring and closed the office. And then uh, by April the 2nd, Tennessee was in a lockdown, as was most of the rest of the country. So that's kind of what was happening at that time. It feels like a lifetime ago in so many ways. Yeah, so we certainly can't talk about everything we learned over the last year, but we want to talk about one specific thing we learned about setting big goals and actually exceeding our original expectations. So today we're going to talk about something that was really unique to us, but I think that will benefit you all as you think about the future for your own lives and company. We want to talk about kind of how or what's happened during the recession to our business because we got some extraordinary results. We realized that maybe we're an outlier. Uh, not everybody fared well during the recession. There were winners and losers. Some people lost extraordinary amount of ground during the recession, people losing their jobs, losing their homes and all that. We don't want to be tone deaf to that. But we also have a lot of businesses in our coaching practice that had extraordinary results. In fact, I would say the vast majority of our coaching clients had uh, record years this last year. And it, and it wasn't just by accident. It wasn't just that we happened to pick a business that would do well, because honestly, we had to pivot. We wondered in the midst of all this, were we going to go down? Were we going to need you know, the, the PPP money? You know, All that stuff. We had all the same concerns everybody else did. But we did a few things that I think are instructive for any business going forward. And that's what we want to talk about today. So Megan, you want to set this up? Yeah. So this is was really interesting. We had an executive team celebration dinner, which we're actually going to talk about in another episode, uh, celebrating the accomplishment of this big goal. So about a month into the pandemic, I decided to set a goal to exceed our profit goal by 50%. So we were Not already 15. projecting- not 15, 50, 5, 0. We had already projected significant growth year over year from uh, last year, from 2019, you know, to 2020. And I really felt like we needed something else to rally around. So I set this goal. I got the executive team aligned around it, as you can imagine. They were skeptical. 
they weren't sure. I mean, it was, it was really kind of the opposite of what you would have thought that I would have done. And uh, we also set this goal while deciding that it had to be accomplished while we respected our value of intentional margin. Because if you kind of go back in time, which is one of the things that I did as I was preparing for this conversation that I had with our executive team in this celebration dinner we did, you know, we had people that were really, really all of our people were overwhelmed. They were exhausted. They were anxious. Um, they had kids crawling all over them. You know, we've been working remotely for a long time and kind of a hybrid model. So that wasn't particularly overwhelming. But what was different, besides the fact that it was absolutely 100%, or, you know, 110% virtual, is that all of a sudden there was no daycare, there was no school, you know, the kids were just everywhere. And that was a lot, plus the incredible uncertainty that was going on around us. We didn't know what was going to happen to the economy. We didn't know how safe or in danger we were with the virus itself, what we could and couldn't do. We were in lockdowns. You know, all these things were happening. The stock market was crashing. I mean, it's just kind of amazing, actually, to go back and catalog the sequence of events that were happening in March and April um, that, that led up to, for us, this decision to set an even bigger goal. Um, but we decided that we were going to do an experiment and cut our workday down to six hours. We felt like that was just about as much as anybody could manage in the midst of all these other challenges. So we wanted to accomplish this big goal while really working only six hours a day. And we made a lot of progress towards that. Not every single person on our team is yet doing that all the time, though we're really close. We will have that accomplished by about June of this year, we think. But it was an, it was an intentional counterbalance there with that goal. So we set this goal. And lo and behold, this is always so easy to tell in hindsight, we got within $100,000 of accomplishing it. So, uh, you know, that was just amazing. Like we were almost all the way there. And it was something that I was so proud of to see that our team had accomplished. And what, and really, one of the biggest reasons that I knew that it would be meaningful is the ability to look back on it. I'll say more about that in a minute, but to know that we had accomplished something under such crazy circumstances, right? It was kind of a high-risk maneuver for you. As yeah, it was. More so than I realized at the time, by the way. Yeah. When we had that celebration dinner, people kind of let their true feelings out and what they thought initially when you brought it up. But it was a high-risk maneuver because whenever you go after a big goal, there's obviously a risk that you don't achieve it. Right. And if you don't achieve it, then that kind of dings everybody's confidence. Then everybody's more reticent to set big goals. And it kind of has a cascading effect in the wrong direction. But at the same time, if you don't set big goals, then it's it's really hard to get people to focus, to get people fully engaged, uh, and to really find meaning in your work. You know, I I'm, I know you're this way, Megan, and I think we've got a team full of these people. But to just set a goal that's sort of an incremental improvement over last year, nobody gets excited in our shop about that. You know, it's got to be be something meaningful. Now, not crazy. You know, we we advise our clients and ourselves not to set goals in the delusional zone, but there needs to be some discomfort. And certainly you were, I, I would say you were right up against the pipes, <laughs> you know, in terms of yeah. being right on the edge of being delusional. And I, I literally thought that at the time I thought, wow, I don't know that I would be bold, that bold to stretch it that far. But I thought, you know, this is, this is good. Cause she's going to learn something either way. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, you know, she's got the leadership in her to pull this off. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, it was probably the the biggest leadership challenge that I've had to date. You know, again, if we go back in time, all all the external forces say this is totally impossible, right? Like it, it is literally the most counterintuitive thing that I could have possibly done. And there were times, especially as we were in like September, October, 
November. And for us, we're on a calendar fiscal year. So the end of our year is December 31st where I hated this goal. <laughs> you know, I was like what have I mad done? at it. Yeah. Like, what was I thinking? You know, it's too late to back out. I'm like swimming the English channel. I'm halfway across and I can't go back and I feel like I can't make it, you know, to the other side, which is, you know, we talk about this a lot um, in your best year ever, this messy middle idea. And that's how it felt. You know, I was really in the messy middle. I didn't see, I didn't have a clear path uh, to that. We tried some things that didn't work over the summer and that was frustrating. And as it turns out, I mean, this was kind of an exaggerated example, but I think that's how every goal goes. Mm-hmm. You know, you always have the messy middle. You always have a period where you try stuff you don't that doesn't work. You always have a period where you're just frustrated as all get out and you want to give up. You know, if that doesn't happen, you probably didn't set a goal that's high enough. So I think that that's um, just a good reminder for me and something I'll look back on. But as I look at this, there are really three reasons why I think we were able to accomplish these extraordinary outcomes. And I think this will be helpful to our listeners to hear because these are really things that you guys can take with you into your businesses and uh, in your teams. The first one is commitment. So, uh, and I, I really give my executive team and our leadership team and the rest of our team the credit for this. I think that we were willing to commit to something that we didn't know how to accomplish. And this is kind of like a, another counterintuitive idea. Normally, when we think about commitment, we want to commit to things that we're sure that we can accomplish, right? Like that, that, that kind of risk component of it. We don't really want to commit to things that we're not sure we can deliver on because that could have all kinds of negative consequences. But when we think about performance and high performance and, and the highest performers that you think about in sports or, or whatever, I mean, these people are doing things that they have no idea until they do it, how they're going to accomplish. And in that commitment, the ingenuity, the creativity, the innovation all of a sudden springs up. Yeah, exactly. And I think that even if you weren't talking about increasing the goal, this is a major, major hack in terms mm-hmm. of accomplishing anything. And I can remember back when I was in corporate America and, and we'd want to set a big goal And so we would ask the sales team, for example, and they're not the only ones, but the sales team, I'll pick on them. You'd say, okay, could you commit to this bigger goal? And they're just total reticent because they don't have the certainty they can accomplish it and they don't want to commit to something they can't accomplish. But here's the thing. You won't accomplish what you don't commit to. Mm -hmm. So you got to get this order right. The commitment comes first and then you accomplish it. This is what makes marriage work. It doesn't always work. I get that. But I think that when you commit to a relationship, not knowing what's in front of you, not knowing the the specific path it's going to take, because my life certainly turned out different than I thought. We had challenges that I didn't expect. There were downturns. There were rough patches. There were all all of that. But what got us through was the commitment. And so I think that this is just kind of how the universe is set up, is that you make the commitment and then you figure out how you're going to fulfill the commitment. And it's true in relationships, and it's definitely true with goal setting. So even if this past year, and we had a lot of clients ask me on our, we do a client call with our business accelerator clients every Monday, and they get the opportunity to to ask me questions. And so right after the, the pandemic hit, a lot of them were saying, oh my gosh, should we go back in and revise the budget? Yep. Right? So should we, should we lower the numbers to accommodate what we know now, which was we're in the middle of a pandemic? Mm-hmm. And I was quick to say what I what I didn't do is what you did, Megan. I didn't say no. You ought to you know raise it by fifty percent. <laughs> and certainly, we would not have given that advice to all of our clients. No. I mean, as you said, it was a risky move and it was situationally dependent. So what I what I did say to him was, I said, don't let go of the commitment. 
until you absolutely have to. Because oftentimes the commitment to that goal and taking a stand for that goal, you know, putting a putting a, a stake in the ground and saying, we're going for this. We're not giving up on it. No, I look, I, I know we've had setbacks. I know it looks impossible right now, but we're holding on to the goal. That's what usually gives you the breakthrough mm-hmm. that you need to keep to keep moving forward. But if you don't stay in that space, if you're too quick to abandon it, the breakthroughs won't show up. And then you start drifting backward, and then that also has, you know, sort of a cascading effect. Well, and what you train your team to do is to say, we're just kind of going to be reactive to what's going on environmentally. So we're going to always take our cues for what's possible, from what we see around us, and what other people tell us is true. And that's a really dangerous position to get into from a performance standpoint. It's not going to yield good results. I love that. So making a commitment looks like taking a stand for that thing that you want to accomplish, whether it's the goal you originally had. And as we're recording this, we're in March. And so by now, you've probably had some goals that have been a little bit derailed or some plans that haven't turned out exactly like you wanted. And you might be tempted to just give up. You might think goal setting doesn't work. Or maybe I just, you know, there was just a New Year's resolution. But what we want to encourage you to do is keep playing full out until the whistle blows. So reason number one is making a commitment to something that you don't know how to accomplish. Um, Reason number two that I think we were able to achieve this profit goal and uh, really exceed our profit goal by 50% is courage. We chose to advance when others chose to retreat. And I think that's a big lesson of the pandemic in general, you know, and again, caveat for all the situations where this legitimately was not possible. But I listened to a podcast where the host was talking to a guest uh, near the start of the pandemic. It was probably in April or May. And they said um, they were discussing morale and culture and whether or not you should still expect your team to deliver on the financial results that you set as the goal for the year. You know, they were supposed to deliver on the budget or not. And either the host or the guest said that they basically thought it was immoral to expect your team to accomplish their original budgets. And I thought, wow. I mean, I can remember right where I was. I was in the car going to get a car wash. And I just like kind of sat back in my seat like, wow. What I mean, what does that mean for your team when the default response is that you take away their opportunity for agency, you take away the one place in their life at this point during the pandemic where they probably still have a sense of agency and control, where they can make something happen, where they can be proactive, where they can be creative and have a positive outcome. And you basically just say, we all need to be resigned to a much smaller story than we were expecting. You know, that that was the only logical outcome was that this was going to be worse and not better. And how debilitating, you know, that's that's what I thought. You know, one of the biggest reasons that I set this goal uh, is I thought, what will it mean for our team to be able to look back on this, you know, two years, five years, 10 years from now and have this story be kind of a legend in our company that we did this in the midst of the pandemic. And if they can, and if they can do this, what else can they do? I mean, just to have that as a feather in your cap, as a professional is huge. See, I, I I think most people write the story after it happens. Right. But one of the secrets to success is writing the story before it happens Uh and then living out the story. And so this is a good example. 
you could say, well, this happened, so we're going to write the story about how the pandemic came and you know we were swept away in all that happened. And of course, we didn't get good results because of these macro environmental factors. And that's, that's like a story not worth remembering, right? But you could say, and what you did is say, just imagine if we could look back on this and this could be a defining moment for us. And the defining moments, by the way, in all of our lives and in all of history are never the easy things. No. They're not even the successes. They're, they're the times, it's a very simple storyline. You have to overcome a big obstacle in the pursuit of a goal. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that creates, that's basically every story that's ever been written. Yep. You know, and and we've learned this from Don Miller's story brand idea, but you know, you've got a protagonist or a hero. That person wants something, but all of a sudden there's an obstacle. There's something that's keeping the hero from getting what they want. And in this particular case, happened to be a pandemic and it happened to be, you know, occurring worldwide. So it was everybody's situation. But some people chose to pre-write the story and then mm-hmm. to live into that story. And that's what I loved about how you led uh, during this pandemic. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think it was just a collective choice to choose to have courage, to act with courage, and to advance when other people chose to retreat. Let's talk about courage just a little bit, because I think it's often misunderstood. You know, here's what I didn't sense from you, and you can tell me, because all I saw was what was happening on the outside, right? So I'm on the outside looking in. And what I saw was somebody who was confident, not arrogant, somebody that was poised, but somebody that was realistic and humble. But I think sometimes we look at people that we deem courageous and we think, oh my God, they must have a lion's heart and <laughs> they, they're impervious to fear. The, the rest of us would cower in the corner. But you know, Megan had the wherewithal to you know, forge ahead. And how did you feel on the inside? <laughs> well, kind of like a duck on the top of a lake, you know, like on top, everything is smooth and I look like I'm gliding and underneath my little feet were like going a million miles an hour. You know, it was kind of like that. Um, The truth is courage is a way that you act, not a way that you feel. Say that again. Courage is a way that you choose to act, not a way that you feel. I mean, sometimes you get to feel brave or courageous and that's awesome, but usually that's what happens after you've done it. You know, after you've done the brave thing, it's not... It's more like a reward than it is a prerequisite. So what I have learned in my life, um, and I feel like this is something, honestly, every time I level up and do something I haven't done before, like this goal, I have to remind myself of that. And by remind myself, I mean that probably I'm having like a series of meltdowns at night when I'm a little too tired and, you know, my husband's kind of talking me off the ledge. (laughs) So it's probably a lot more like that, you know, but I mean, I feel scared. I feel like I'm not sure that I can do it. I have self-doubt. I have setbacks. I wonder if I should just give up. And in the end, I think the defining moment is not that. I mean, that's universally true. If you're a leader, you probably have that experience every time you try to do anything that matters. It's just that acting with courage means that you choose to go ahead and charge the hill anyway. You know, you feel all that stuff and you just move ahead. It's not like magically, you know, somehow you just feel totally confident and you're just ready to go, you know? Didn't feel all that thing that every, all the things that everybody else felt. No, I mean, I felt all of that. And we just decided to go forward as a way of really feeling empowered. That was the, the primary motivation was we just want to feel empowered. And so acting with courage made us feel stronger than acting without courage. You know, uh, Gail and I were just watching Ken Burns' series on the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? I've watched, yes, I have. So it was like the, that's like one of the first documentaries ever he ever did. And and I remember there's a there's one 
character that uh, that reoccurs during the story over and over again is Joshua Joshua Chamberlain. I think he was part of the Massachusetts Army or Brigade or whatever it was, but uh, he was on the side of the Union. And there was a scene at Gettysburg where they run out of ammunition, mm-hmm. and they just fix their bayonets and they charge the rebels with no ammunition. Now the rebels didn't know it, and these guys were scared to death. You know, and they just they charged the rebels, and the rebels retreated. Hmm. You know, just Amazing. because because these guys appeared so ferocious, and they acted with courage, even though many of them were, you know, having all kinds of physical symptoms. You know that I won't go into, but you know, basically all but throwing up. <laughs> right. And so I, I I think that's how it is for a lot of people. Did you did you have any conversations with your coach? I know you you have a coach, an executive coach, and this was on the agenda. I'm Lots sure. Of conversations. That, yeah. So, what were, what was some of the advice that she was giving to you, or even what would be more interesting is what were some of the things that you were sharing with her, and what was she telling yeah. you? Well, I mean, the things I was sharing with her were like, I don't know if I should keep going. I don't know if I should give up. I don't know what, what's going to happen if they don't respect me on the other side of not accomplishing this goal. Like, what's that going to mean for my leadership? That's you know? the danger of being futuristic, like you are. Is that you already right? You already, you know, past the point where you failed. Right. Now you're wondering what it's like. <laughs> exactly. And I could paint a very vivid picture if I need to. Um, and so, you know, I mean, they were really real, very human um, concerns that I have. And she just kept bringing me back to what was at stake and also encouraging me, like, you you cannot let this go. The only way that you uh, you lose is to give up. And she said, you know, accomplishing the goal is only part of the goal, the kind of larger goal in a mm-hmm. way. That really what's at stake here and what you're fighting for and why you're not going to give up when you want to is because of who you're going to become and who you know your team can become on the way to pursuing this goal. And that really became a driving force for me. I knew that the team that we started out as at the beginning of the year, you know, March, April of 2020, would not be the same team that finished the year. And that is, in fact, very true. Every single person on my team, my executive team, or the team that reports to me, um, are incredibly, have have grown incredibly and have become stronger, more capable, more willing to be courageous. And in fact, that happened. You know, when I look at my team and who they are now and the quality of their leadership, I mean, I'm just so proud, you know, and I think how worth it was that. It's like strength training. You know, we started out lifting five pounds and now we can lift 20. And that means we can do all kinds of stuff, you know? So I'm so proud of that. Who knows what else we're capable of. Mm -hmm. I like something that Tony Robbins says. He says, if you think you can't, then you must. Yeah. Because if you don't follow through and do it, then you're kind of yielding your agency or your power to something else. And and you end up just little by little corning off certain sections of your life where you say, like, Megan, you had this happen where you said, well, I, 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 I'm I, not a public speaker. I can't public speak. So that's right. just an area that I have to put away in a closet somewhere and I can yep. never do that. Yep. And, if, and if you keep doing that for all the things you think you can't do, then you end up with a very small life and a very small story. Mm-hmm. Whereas the opposite of that is to have the courage to act in spite of your fear, doing it when you're scared and just saying, okay, I, I don't think I can do that. Therefore, I must do that because, you know, I'm not the first person that's had to to confront this. Mm-hmm. And this is mostly about me overcoming the mental obstacles that are between my yeah. ears. Absolutely. And that was the hardest part of it, for sure. It's always the hardest part of it. You know, the story 
in my head about why I couldn't do it versus the story in my head about why I could do it, you know, was really the battle to win. Okay, so the the last reason um, that we were able to accomplish this exceeding of our profit goal is collaboration. And that's really about how our team worked together. And I was the one who initiated this goal, but I absolutely could not have accomplished it on my own, not a doubt in my mind. Um, In fact, it was critically important that my team was aligned around the goal, that they were bought into it, that they were ready to go execute on it, because I knew that this was not a one-person job. This was a a team-level job. And what I saw in our team is that people brought amazing creativity, you know, innovation ideas. One person would be kind of at the end of their creativity or uh, new ideas, and somebody else would bring a fresh perspective. And that happened all year long, over and over and over again. It was really interesting. Um, we had a meeting one time with our executives and our directors, so what we call our leadership team. And the executives were kind of spent on this goal. You know, we had tried some things that had worked, and we had tried some things that really did not work well. And we were behind relative to where we needed to be, you know, on pace kind of with um, this goal. And so we brought in the directors and we we asked them, okay, hey, we're pursuing this. They knew that they were already on board with it. You know, what ideas do you guys have? And they had a whole fresh group of ideas. You know, there was a, a long list of things that they saw as possibilities that the rest of us would not have been able to see. And I think that's the value of a team. It really takes everybody's perspective. It takes the unique contribution of every single person to get where you want to go. And you often say, you know, if your dream isn't big enough to require a team, it's just not big enough. And I think I learned that lesson in spades with this goal, that it really required every single person. And there's nobody on your team that should be discounted. You would be surprised where the ideas come from. You know, it's amazing. I've been in situations where in the pursuit of a big goal, collaboration wasn't part of it. You know, Mm -hmm. especially when you start missing the goal. Yeah. Then all of a sudden there's uh, a competition or a blaming. Did you experience any of that? Or was that ever a temptation? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I don't think so. I don't think we ever had competition or blaming. I think the challenge was to stay mentally engaged. The challenge for all of us was not to give up. And so certainly at times, I think I can remember conversations I had with some of my executives where they were like, I just don't think I have any more to give. And I'm like, I think you do, you know. And I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking, I hope you do. <laughs> and and as it turned out, they did. And sometimes it was just the re-energizing that came from somebody else on the team that had an idea, and they were like, Oh, okay. You know, I remember um, Chad, our chief sales officer, talking about at this celebration dinner we recently had for this. Uh, he was just talking about having that kind of infusion of new ideas from our directors and what that meant at a time when he was particularly drained. And just that realization, like, oh, it doesn't depend on me completely. You know, I have a part to play, but the whole outcome is not on my shoulders. And I think that's an important lesson for leaders to learn. I do too. And I think it's one that is a little bit counterintuitive to sort of the myth of the self-made person. Right. You know, you think you got to come up with all this on your own, but the truth is teams can accomplish extraordinary things. It's not like if you have, you know, six people on your team, it's one plus one plus one all the way right. to six. Right. It it gets exponentially squared. And so the, you begin to feed off one another and have ideas and build on other ideas. And if you've ever experienced collaboration like that, it's a beautiful thing. It's amazing 
when it happens because you can definitely do more as a team than you could possibly do on your own. I mean, I accomplish things every week that I could never accomplish if I was just a solopreneur. But because I can focus on my unique gifting and make my unique contribution and stay in my own lane, there's other people that can pick it up where I'm weak and take it to the next level in a way that yeah. I couldn't even dream about. Thank goodness. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really encouraging and empowering to realize that. So once you've acted with first commitment, second courage, and third collaboration, one of the rewards of that is that you end up both personally and as a team with a newfound sense of confidence. Yeah. And this is an idea that really came from another of our coaches, Dan Sullivan, um, talking about this. You know, that we think about this like, oh, you're going to start off with confidence. Right. And actually, confidence is the big present at the end with the bow wrapped around it. You know, that's what you get at the end if you're fortunate, if you um, accomplish the big thing that you're after or you make big progress toward it. And I think that's a good reminder. You know, that was really, as I've said, my motivation is that I knew what this would mean to our team once they did it. I knew that this would be something that we could look back on. And my gosh, if we could do something like this in a pandemic year, every challenge we face in the future will always be measured against that. And to have that confidence of that's possible, what else is possible? You know, I knew that would open up the future for us in a way that almost nothing else could. And what I didn't want is to get to the end of this year or 2020 last year and have our team feel like victims. I didn't want them to feel less empowered like they had less agency, like they were more at the mercy of the macro environment, as you said earlier, then they started out. You know, that wasn't an acceptable outcome to me. I just, I don't think we can get to the future that we've envisioned in our company vision with that as the mindset. So it felt like what was ultimately at stake was the mindset that it was going to take to get us into the future. And if I didn't win this battle, it, it would be at, at the cost of the future. And I just, I couldn't abide that. So this, now to have this confidence of we've done this, and I don't mean confidence like arrogance, like, oh, we can do anything. It'll just be easy. I don't think it'll be easy. It's really the confidence that comes from knowing you can do hard things. And I think that's one of the most important life lessons that anybody can learn. I mean, I feel like I'm trying to teach that to my kids right now, you know, all over the place. I agree. Well, look, some of you listening to this today need to hear this message. You may be in the messy middle where you're not sure whether you should give up on the goal or you should stick with it. And we're saying keep playing full out until the whistle blows. Stay committed to the goal. Exercise courage even if you feel fear inside. Collaborate with your team, with your key contractors, whoever it is that can you know resource you and help you to see the finish and to get there. It's totally worth the journey. And it's worth it because confidence, as Megan said, is the reward. And that's an amazing thing to possess as a team, because then you can go on to even a higher level. Megan, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. So when I look back at the last year, you know, this at the time of this recording, as we said at the beginning, it's just about exactly a year after the first recording we did in the midst of the pandemic. Um, I think that when we face challenges like this, so much of what we experience is about how we think about the challenges we're facing. You know, for us the pandemic in many ways was a gift. It was a hard gift, <laughs> a gift that I don't uh, look, that I'm not excited to have again anytime soon. And yet so many good things came out of it. I know that that's not true for everybody. And we have a great deal of empathy for people um, for whom that was not the case. Uh, but for us, really, it, it was a gift. And 
part of that gift is that we get to take these lessons into the future to empower us to face new challenges. Well, terrific. Guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We hope it was helpful. And until next time, lead to win. I got to fact check you on one thing here. Uh Uh-oh. Now, Michael, this is very similar to the conversation that my wife and I had at the grocery store. (laughs) So if you're going to ask me if Cheese Whiz comes in an aerosol can, I'm going to tell you I've already been through this. (laughs) Okay, here we go. (laughs) You're right. It's easy cheese. Yes. Like I've never Uh, heard of easy cheese. And easy easy cheese is in the snack chip section. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by Michael and Megan's newest book, Win at Work and Succeed at Life. Enjoy Michael and Megan exploring what it takes to achieve the double win while they recount stories that bring joy and some stories that sting, all while laying out how you can win at work and succeed at life. Pre-order your copy today at winandsucceedbook.com. That's winandsucceedbook.com.